1: And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. I am so I, – look, I hope you're feeling my excitement because I am excited because in less than 12 hours, uh, I'm going to be on my way to Costa Rica with John Maxwell and a team of 250 coaches who have been invited uh, based on the invitation of the president of Costa Rica uh, to be heading out uh, to help transform a nation. So I cannot wait. Um, this is going to be a life-changing event Going to be a life changing transformation for the country of Costa Rica, and I cannot, I I just can't wait to be a part of it. So uh, we're heading out to Costa Rica in the morning. On, I'm going to be there all the way through next Friday as we're training fifteen thousand uh, leaders in the seven streams of influence uh, to help again uh, enable them to go train one hundred and fifty thousand people in the nation of Costa Rica in the values of leadership in in and also in the method of roundtables of John Maxwell. So I am heading out in the morning for that and, and quite frankly I'm not going to be here for the show next week. So you better get your fill this week uh, as we're here on the work life balance. Um, we do have a couple of shout outs to uh, do as we normally do. Uh, had a great week uh, of clients. You know everybody was kind of piling in here at the last second because they knew I was going to be out of town. Had a great conversation today with Kimberly Whitby as we're as we're trying to negotiate potentially taking this show to a different audience as well uh so a further reach and i'm excited about that um and it looks like that's going to be coming to uh, fruition here uh, shortly um always want to shout out john stenbeck i don't know what we're going to do without you know a whole week of us not talking with each other but we'll figure that piece out um and then again just everybody that continues to hit me on social media and you know twitter facebook please still do so because i'm going to be you know hungry for for hearing about stories from home while i'm going to be in, in Central America and South in in, in Costa Rica. So, um, upcoming shows uh, for those of you guys that 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 were with me last week, as I did that detox show. Of, you know what I learned from John Maxwell. And we talked about the Maria Cristina Foundation. Uh, I got amazing news because I told you and announced my purpose that I was going to book her on this radio show, and I can tell you, we have confirmed her for the April twenty seventh show. Go ahead and put that on your calendar right now. April 27th, you do not want to miss this show. If you have got any kind of excuse or anything that's holding you back right now, you're going to want to listen to this show because she's one of the most amazing, amazing people, one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. So let's get to this show this week. We're so excited to have this person on. As as we said, uh, I'd gotten an email uh, uh, from, from John Stenbeck talking about the most downloaded project management uh, speakers around project management in, in agile uh, for the year, and this person was right on top of the list, and and so we had to have her on. We actually have known each other 17 or 18 years because um, we were just talking in pre-show to try to figure out when did we uh, when was the last time we had seen each other. Uh, but she has been known as the pragmatic manager. She provides frank advice for your very tough problems. She helps leaders and teams see problems, resolve risks and manage their product development. And she was the 2009 Agile Conference chair and was the co-chair of the first edition of the Agile Practice Guide. She's authored so many books including Create Your uh, Successful Agile Project, Agile and Lean Program Management, Manage Your Project Portfolio, Ah, uh, project portfolio tips. Diving, uh, um, yeah, diving for hidden treasures. Predicting the unpredictable. Uh, pragmatic approaches to estimating project schedule or cost, and so on and so forth. She writes columns for ProjectManagement.com and writes two blogs on her website, uh, as well as a blog as well. So let's bring her onto the show, Johanna Rothman. How are you, Johanna?
2: Well, thank you so much, and I'm great.
1: That's great. And we're catching a little background noise, um, I think, from studio, if we, could, if we could catch that in our ears. But, Johanna, um, so introduce yourself. You know, I just read about all your books, but, look, books are a labor of love. Um, tell, tell a little bit, you know, the, the audience about you.
2: So I'm, I'm one of these consultants who tries to help people see the entire system. And, yes, I'm a consultant, so I offer all the normal consulting things. But I find that when we try and see the entire system, people say, oh, I could do this piece right here, get a little value, and then see what do I do next. Because every time you do a little experiment you, or you try something new, it changes the system. And that's, that's actually one of the very fun things. So while I, I have all these practical things about managing projects and Agile and Project Portfolio and all that stuff, it's really about how do you see the system so you can change one thing, make some progress, and then do something else.
1: Right. So it's the fail and repeat model, correct?
2: Well, I, I would like to say it's not so much fail and repeat, um, but, but how do you find a little success somewhere? And so, repeat, fail,
1: improve, yeah. and repeat. I missed this step. Fail, improve, repeat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And, and so, so, why do people call you the
2: pragmatic manager? So, partially it's because my email newsletter is called the pragmatic manager. But partially it's because I don't care where things come from. So, I'm I'm very well known in the agile community, and I I tend to work in an agile way. I have agile in my personal life. I have agile in my work, so I I tend to do things in an agile way. But I don't I don't subscribe to a framework. I happen to find that cadences and iterations are helpful, but I don't I don't actually use Scrum in my normal life. Um, I use Flow a lot, but I don't use the Kanban method. And I think that people people who realize that they need to take from theory of constraints and take from lean and take from agile and take from a lot of other sources so that they can figure out what to do, those are the people I work with.
1: Yeah, it, 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 I, I completely agree. I do a, a, I did a big show um, probably about eight or nine weeks ago about agile trends. And, and you know, one of my favorite questions always to ask back, they, they say, we're agile. I go, really? What kind? And, and that seems to always stump everybody, right? Nobody ever has a good answer to that one, do they? Why, why do you think that is?
2: So I think a lot of people start with Scrum. Scrum has terrific marketing. And and with the certification, it's, it's actually a very helpful approach to many kinds of things. And then I... I I mean, the reason I wrote my most recent book is is because Scrum does not fit every person in every organization, and certainly not every project. So I think it's really important to say, instead of saying that you're Scrum butt, which I really hate, I, I just think that's a horrible thing. Why don't you say, we do Agile in this way, and we don't necessarily have a name for it, but we have our throughput. We have great throughput, we have delivery, Um, maybe we have pretty constant delivery, and we have really happy customers. And if you can say you're delivering stuff when you want to when your customers are happy, you're probably doing some form of Agile. And it might not have a name, and that's totally fine. And I think that um, instead of getting all divided into little boxes where I'm doing less and I'm doing safe and I'm doing scrum and I'm doing the human method. Instead of doing that, let's just say what do we need to do for our organization, our project, our people now.
1: But but Johanna, you're killing the revenue model for the people that say in order to be agile, first you must select a methodology and then train the entire organization from top to bottom Completely before yeah. we can even start. What do you say to those people?
2: Um, I would say a word that I'm not allowed to use with a microphone on radio. <laughs> um, also known as stuff and nonsense. That's just nonsense. So I do agree that some training can be helpful. So, for example, if, if nobody has ever used a time box, which is an old project management technique, Right, we have been time boxing for an hour, and time boxing for a week, time boxing for two weeks, or a month. We've been doing that for years and years and years. So, if if people don't know about a time box, that's helpful to understand. Uh, too many people don't know about retrospectives. And if you did nothing else in Agile, if you said every Friday we will have a retrospective and figure out what to what to do differently for the next week, you could. You could learn yourself into Agile. You could improve yourself into Agile very, very quickly. So there are some things that are very helpful to learn. And if you really wanted to train all those people, you could probably do it in, you know, half a day. If you really wanted the minimum and then go practice, you know, you can't learn anything without practice. And if you're not practicing on your own stuff, your own stories, your own requirements, your own code, your own delivery model, I don't see how you can really get agile.
1: Right. But then then again, all the training organizations, they're just rolling over in their grave at the moment. But I, I love what you said because in the, in the agile show that I did, and you guys can go to voiceamerica.com and search the work-life balance and find the show called Agile Trends, um, I actually did probably 10 minutes of euphemisms. And and basically (laughs) compared the Agile word to the project management word. And I said, so essentially, you know, nothing about Agile is really new. It's just new language, um, and we're calling it new, except that, you know, they, they when they come in and do the training, it's that project management was all, you know, Godzilla and we're wrecking the world and, and you know, burning the cities to the ground and, and agile is all communal butterflies and hugs. You know, it's 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 incredible how, how the training happens. But but the point being is you're right, it's it, it, we've time boxed and, and when you do big room planning that we used to call it a WBS session. But the the point being the smartness of Agile though is smaller. Whip cycles, right? Smaller whip queues. Not trying to identify, you know, a project eighteen months in advance and in smaller cycles, right? Reducing the the workload, reducing the queue, and eliminating the waste in between the process. Exactly. Wow. So I was taking a drink of water. I was hoping you would say a little bit more than that
2: on that one, but no. But, oh, but that's well, the, I would, no, I'm, I'm I would be happy to say more. Uh, so te- <laughs> when when I think about agile, I really so a lot – okay, let me try this. Oh, I'm so excited. There's too much in my brain.
1: So, But oh, wait, I'm going to stop you, I'm stop you there then because we're actually right up against the break. So I, I threw that over okay. the wall. I lobbed that grenade. And, but we're going to let you fulfill that grenade when we come back from break. We'll be right back with Johanna right after this break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. <laughs>
0: Allow R Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit RSquaredConsulting.com today. You are tuned in to the Work Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guests today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1 866 472 5790.
1: And we are back to this Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about Agile with Johanna Rothman, an Agile expert for us. And, Johanna, right before break, I was talking about euphemisms in in Agile and project management. And I queued you up, and you were ready to go, but I had to put you on pause for (laughs) break. So now I'm going to let you out of the gate and let you have some fun with it. So go
2: ahead. Thank you. So really good project managers all along have been facilitative servant leaders. And that's what an Agile project manager is. That's what a Scrum Master is. Anybody who paid attention to the Gantt chart was a project administrator, not a project manager. Because you don't manage the Gantt chart. You manage the interactions between the people by facilitating them, by making sure that people have room to collaborate, by making sure everyone understands, do I need something from this person here at some particular point in time? Is there a way that we could collaborate? So as far as I'm concerned, really great project managers have been, quote, agile, end of quote, all along because they were facilitative servant leaders.
1: And uh, you know what? You just hit the nail on the head. And the people that that I roll through my head that have been my mentors, the people that I've seen, like you that have been in this business 17, 18 years that, that we've all been speaking together and, and on the trail for quite some time. Uh, we've all been that. I teach a project management master class. The first thing I do is disk profiles. And they go, what does this have to do with, with any of the you know Gantt charts and that kind of stuff? And I was like, nothing. But You've got to know your team first before you can figure out how to direct them.
2: Well, and, and even if you don't do something like that, Uh, There's no reason a project manager can't have a very short one-on-one with every single person every single week just to make sure that they're okay, right? Is the work progressing for you okay? Do you understand where you're going? And, uh, well, in an Agile organization, the manager might do that because a Scrum Master or an Agile project manager does not need to do that. I really like to say... How can we get people to collaborate? I have found that the more people pair and swarm and mob, the better it is for the product and the project. So pairing is when you have two people at one keyboard and they work on one thing together. It could be two developers. It could be a developer and a tester. It could be any, any kind of people. Swarming is when everyone meets, I like in the morning, they all say, oh, I'm going to go off and do this thing for my development and that thing for my development and this thing for my testing. Whatever they go away for an hour, they come back and check in. They do the go away and check back in, um, rinse and repeat cycle until they're all done. And when one person finishes first, that person can then pair with somebody who's not done. And then there's mobbing where the entire team sits around one keyboard and hopefully a projector. I think you can see everything on the board and a big monitor. And they all work together on this one thing. I think that this, this is where Agile and the idea of collaboration, right? Agile has taken the idea of collaboration much farther than anything else we had done previously in software development. I mean, I, I, I pair programmed in 1982, kicking and screaming. It took me about three weeks to get really into it, and I did it for about two months. But I really, I really like thinking by myself, and that is a very big change in, in agile software development. How do we collaborate together effectively? And the project manager... Whatever you want to call that can really facilitate that. So maybe you do it with this. Maybe I just go into the work and observe and and coach and give feedback, right? But making that safe environment for the people—that's a huge, huge thing.
1: And so again, none of this is new, though, right? I mean, if you if you think about swarming and, and mobbing. In, in the 1930s, Napoleon Hill wrote "Think and Grow Rich." talked about the power of a mastermind. One of the things that I always look at, though, is is how the profession of project management got such a bad name. And it really does, right? Because because in, in all the agile books, it, it talks about project management is command and control, and it's not. I've never done it, command and control. Never been a command and control PM. The best people I know in the industry has never been command and control. So how did we get that moniker? And I've done, for years, I've done this thing from stage, and you've probably seen it, Johanna, where where I talk about, though, it's also the profession that everybody thinks they can do it. And so, you know, there's the executives that go, I don't have enough project managers, so I'm just going to grab this person. You're now going to run this project. And then we get lumped in with them. Right. Because the statistics of project failures and how things are running are getting lumped in with people who didn't want to do the job in the first place. And, right, you start to see that it, it amazes me that they go, oh, you know, I, I, I put in clarity, CAPPM systems all the time. They're buying a multimillion dollar software system, but they don't have any project managers to run it. And then they go, well, the software, it's just not performing. I was like, are you kidding me? Right, the software—it's it, it, the same thing over and over and over and over again. But then it's the failure of the profession, not the people making the so, decisions. The profession.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let me let me interject something there. Well, um, I don't know. I'm sure that when you and I started, I—I I think I'm a little older than you are. So I, I don't want to lump you into the old and gray category, but we had. We had to deliver something every couple of months. And I had a guideline for my personal projects, right? This is back when there might have been one or two developers and I mean a mechanical engineer or tester. Um, I worked on very small projects for most of my most of my individual contributor existence. And we delivered something every every couple of weeks or every month. And when I started to work as a project manager, literally with a title, I said to people, what will we deliver this month that other people can see the progress of? And when Waterfall got such a big name and and we needed to define our processes, because if we define our processes, we would have great projects, which you we all know did not work. Um, that's when we had this notion of one deliverable at the end and the only thing the project manager thought that they could do because if you if you read all the official stuff about project management it was all about getting ready for this one deliverable it didn't say anything about interim deliverables which is crazy in any kind of knowledge work you learn as you go right knowledge work is all about learning you cannot possibly predict what you can deliver at the end Certainly not if it's more than three months from now, if you are not willing to deliver something in an interim basis. So many, many organizations got really stuck in the idea of project manager as working the Gantt chart. So if you have single loop, le- single loop learning, uh, plan the work and work the plan, you only have one deliverable the, at the end, and all you can do is work the plan. That's craziness. Nobody I know has any project that simple that you can do that. Even construction projects don't do that, right? You have interim deliverables into iterative designs at the beginning. You might, if you're, Creating, uh, if you're doing road construction, especially in the Boston area where I'm from, you have to take soil samples because you don't know what what's going to be underneath all the topsoil. I mean, nobody tries to plan an entire project from beginning to end without interim deliverables. And waterfall has a bad name because that's how project managers try to do it. And, and project managers who really fell for the waterfall promise. Oh, and it's such a wonderful promise. I would love it if any of my projects worked that way. I mean, none of them ever have, right? The only thing you could do was work the plan. And now with Agile, we have, we have instantiated double-loop learning where we not just plan the work and work the plan in a small time box of maybe anywhere from a day or two to maybe a couple of weeks. But then then we challenge our assumptions about our process and our product. And that allows us to replan in a way we never thought we could before.
1: But that obviously is based on us putting in Agile properly. So we're going to be taking our break here. And now what I'm going to do when we come after break, because you're going to want to hang on here, is run you through some things that I have been told from people who are the agile transformation leaders of some very large organizations. And so I just want to get some raw reactions from you of, of, you know, things that they've said to me now that they're agile. And so I totally agree with what you just said. Uh, waterfall is is deliverable based, and and not only that, but then we we over proceduralized it because we would miss something. So we wouldn't miss something because we weren't learning properly. We missed it because we failed to do this document. So let's do this document and this new meeting to, to make sure that we, that never happens again. So now we're doing you know 140 hours of of documentation and meetings to produce 10 hours of deliverables, uh, and so we just right we piled each other on in in project management. Doing, doing documentation for the sake of it. So Agile has a new promise, and it, it a lot of people are falling for the promise. Um, but one of the things that that I stress to everybody is you got to pick the right Agileist because there's a lot of clowns out there. And so I'd like to get some of your feedback when we come after break. You're listening to the Work Life Balance with Rick Morris. <phone rings>
3: CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged, all while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than two million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front?
0: Are you getting the most out of your project management software? Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance.
1: And we're back to the Work-Life Balance. We're meeting with Johanna Rothman, talking about agile and, and project management. Uh, Johanna has been much uh, along the track that uh, you know our friends uh, John Stenbeck or, or myself have been on right, came through project management, has learned the ways of Agile, learned the mastery of Agile. And um, so I, I always love to run people through what I call the Agile gauntlet, right? These are these are real quotes, real things that uh, I have been on a client site and somebody has come up and said to me in front of an executive um, about Agile. So I love to, to, to run everybody through this and have a little fun. So, Joanna, here we go. Uh, so the first one is, um, uh, we fired all our project managers. Uh, we don't need project management anymore because we've now adopted Agile. What do you think?
2: Oh, more stuff and nonsense. <laughs> this, this, I mean, you don't need command and control, but when managers do that, that's a form of command and control, right? If we go just a little bit meta, how can they possibly know what the people on the projects need? How can they know? Did they ask the people? And Agile is all about a facilitator. It might not be a literally a project manager. It might be a coach, might be someone you call a scrum master, but someone needs to facilitate the team. Someone needs to to manage the impediments that the team runs into that the team cannot fix. That kind of misnomer we don't need project managers is a sign that somebody does not understand any kind of a, uh, any kind of a rational culture for managing product development <sighs> so it's skill set again right so we, we may not have the
1: title but i think that kind of statement and i've heard that statement so many times especially at agile conferences and in different things is what scares project managers about agile? and And quite frankly, I was very resistant about agile. I was just like,, ah, it's a fad. It's gonna go away. You know I was like, it's the next six Sigma. No worries. So that's what I was thinking when it first came out. And so when i it wasn't until I really dove in and and when got certified and truly understood it that the light bulb went on for me, Um, But I think that that's why so many project managers are scared, is is you hear things like that in the open market, and they're like, wait a minute, I'm going to get phased out.
2: Well, so what phases out is the way you used to work. If all you did was manage a Gantt chart, you actually don't have the skills yet to, quote, manage, end of quote, or more facilitate or lead an agile team. Does that mean – you cannot learn them. Of course you can learn those skills. I, you, could, you don't even have to read my book, which doesn't cost very much. You could read the Scrum Guide and learn how to do it from a free publication. right? So this is, it's. I think the key is it's a mind shift change. right? You have to change from I tell you what to do and when to do it because that's what your managers did to uh, a change of, How do we collaborate as a team to deliver what our customer wants? And your customer might be your product owner, not a real customer, but how do you deliver stuff on a regular basis? It changes the activities that you do because you don't need a Gantt chart. I mean, I don't think any project ever did need a Gantt chart. That's a different different conversation. That's a whole different (laughs) conversation. What?
1: I was laughing with you on that, yeah.
2: Okay, yeah um but i think it's really important to say what kind of what support does this team need if we think about it from servant leadership and great project managers have always been servant leaders right this is this is not new the activities may change but their their cultural approach might not
1: so the only thing i disagree with in what you just said is you really can't get what you need out of the scrum guide. Of course they have to go buy your books. Are you nuts? You absolutely have to go buy Johanna's books. In fact, you should be buying her books right now as we're talking. Uh, I'm <laughs> sure they're available on uh, Amazon and and all, you know, where books are sold. So go find, it's Johanna Rothman. Go get her books. Are you nuts? Of course she, do you not hear her passion coming through? You need to go buy her books. So the, the, the next one that I always love to say is, um, so uh, we're agile now, uh, so I can't tell you when we're going to be done.
2: Oh, that's nonsense. So there's two kinds of estimates. <clears throat> Sorry, there's there's at least two kinds of estimates. There's a gross estimate, which is plus or minus twenty to thirty percent, given what we know now, and we can tell you more as we as we understand our cycle time, and and we can as as we deliver. So. And that's if you want everything that you have specified right now. So a gross estimate helps the management understand what they can do for the project portfolio. When, about when do we think this team might be done? And that's the next project that they can work on, right? So, and then there's the estimation and the small. Now, estimation and the small, I really like. Small stories that you can count. So if you work in a two week iteration, I say you can do somewhere between nine and 11 stories. You do about a story a day. Now, if you're really, if, you have, if you've cut them really, really small, if you've really sliced them thin, you can do two stories in a day. I, I can even count. So I really like math. Give me symbolic logic. I'm not so good at arithmetic. But I can count. Right. If we do a story a day, 10 stories, we have 400 stories, that's 40, uh, see, yeah. I can't yep. do that. See, um,
1: yep, the, the arithmetic got
2: you. <laughs> and the arithmetic got me. I should know better than to try <laughs> and do You should have gotten big numbers. should have stayed um, small. <laughs> but but that's, that's about the kind of, of time you need. So the really interesting thing about agile approaches is if you are, if you have, the ability, and I, I strongly recommend that teams do this, to deliver a story every day, you will find you don't need to do everything in the product backlog. Somewhere, uh, in my experience, teams say, oh, we have about a nine-month project. They get to be about five, five-and-a-half months. And the product owner says, oh, we don't need to do anymore." So this is why it's so important to differentiate between the two kinds of estimates that you need. Yes, you do need uh, an order of magnitude. If we do all of this, it will take us about nine months, give or take a couple of months on either side. People understand that. But spending a lot of time estimating stories instead of... Instead of trying to slice the stories really thin, you can deliver something every day. I'm 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 of the opinion you learn how to slice the stories really thin and then deliver something every single day. And then people say, oh, look at that team. They're really making tracks.
1: There you go. All right. Another one of my favorites. And I'll even walk you through the whole story if you, or the, the argument I had. So, in doing product costing and trying to estimate a team without stories, um, in trying to use an atypical resource estimation, so the fact that your cadence is two weeks, you've got a, a team on a sprint for that two weeks, um, you can't use hours for that
2: because we do story points. Um, well, sure you can. Cause you know what the run rate is for the team, right? No, I but mean, we but wait, no, what... we do story points, and I don't want to be held okay. to to
1: hours because we do story points.
2: Yeah, but that's totally orthogonal. So story points is as a measure of the complexity of the thing you're trying to do. So if I say this story is thirty-seven story points, that that is a way for us to say. Well, in one sprint, we can do 126 story points. Um, that's really only about uh, four or five stories, so I don't know why they don't count them instead of all this complexity. Um, but, but if you don't, don't want to count them, then just say, we know the run rate for a team. See, this is the nice thing in Agile. If you're really doing Agile right, you have a team that does not change over the course of a project. And you can say to people, the run rate for this team, regardless of what they actually deliver in a given iteration or any kind of a time, is X number of dollars. I happen to like using $500 a day per person as an estimate of the run rate. Your your organization might choose a different number. But if we have five people on the team, and that's it's, it's five hundred dollars. Oh God, I'm going to do arithmetic now. Eight okay. people, five hundred. So yeah, I'm with, a be, no, I'm with you. I
1: was being no, I'm with you. Go ahead. No, I was saying I was with you, but I was being told by the agileist that I was being small minded for lumping it in t- that way. That I could assume a two week cost eighty hours at a cost of you know ten grand. Uh, yeah. Every two weeks. That, that was small-minded thinking because they do story points. And I had to eventually win the argument by saying, then can we pay you in story points instead of dollars? <laughs> it uh, eventually won that argument. But that's the point, right? When we're talking about agilists that are out there representing a brand, just like project managers who do such a poor job of running projects – These are the people that are out there. I'll give you the final one because we got about three minutes before break. Uh, We don't document anymore because we're agile.
2: Oh, that's more stuff and nonsense. It's because you might not document for the future, but if you have people who are not part of your physical team, you have people who are distributed and dispersed, how are you going to get them into, into understanding what the requirements are? You need... So a story is a promise for a conversation. But you might need to, to create product documentation off that story. You might want to have an evolving approach to architecture, which means you absolutely want to document your assumptions and and any kind of um, criteria that you need for reliability or performance or any of that. The difference is we don't do it up front We can save all the upfront time and do it as we need it as we proceed.
1: Absolutely. So it's documenting the right things at the right times, not filling out documents for the sake of filling out documents, which is unfortunately what a lot of the stuff is that that we've gotten into. Yeah. Well, you've run the gauntlet. How do you feel? Feel energized? I feel great. I'm
2: ready for more.
1: (laughs) It's incredible, though, isn't it? I mean come on, people. None of that doesn't even make sense. But this is what people are putting out there, you know, don't put us in this box. And, and you know, one of my favorite things when people say, you know, you know, I can't tell you when we're going to be done because we're agile. is like, you actually can tell us when you're going to be done better than ever if you're doing agile right, because we've got time boxes and we know what's happening and we know when we're going to deliver stuff. It's, it's, it's mind boggling. But look, that's what's happening out there. But just like anything, none of this is a cure-all you, you can't just say we're agile now and we're going to fix all of the problems at the organization it is a process in which you have to learn it is a discipline in which you have to apply and you've got to follow through anything was like that. that that's why there's 700 diet plans out there gang there's not one that fits all and there's not one that is going to work for everybody and just like every diet if you cheat and eat chocolate and cheeseburgers you're not going to lose weight so listen we're going to take another break we'll be right back with our final segment with johanna right after this break you're listening to the work-life balance with rick morris <laughs>
0: You are tuned in to the work life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guests today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work life balance.
1: And we are back for our final segment of the Work-Life Balance with uh, Joanna Rothman today. We've been talking about Agile, Agile myths, just a lot of fun stuff. But, you know, we did refer to Joanna's books, which I think she's got, I don't know, 84, 85 of them written by now. Uh, It feels like that, right? But, uh, Joanna, where can we go and and find your books?
2: So, if you start at jrothman.com books, um, there's That's the best place to go. Um, The ones I've I've published with the Pragmatic Bookshelf, you might want to get there. Everything else is on Amazon and Kobo, and um, it's in all the stores, right? Barnes & Noble. You name it, it's everywhere. And
1: so I'm going to put you on the spot. This is always a fun question to ask authors of multiple books. What's you, you always inevitably get that person in the line going, if I can only buy one book, what book should I buy?
2: So if you're, if you're trying to figure out what Agile is and how to, how to make it work for you, then Create Your Successful Agile Project is the right book for you. If you have the project portfolio problem where you have too much work and not enough time and you're always thrashing between projects, then manage your project portfolio. If you are trying to make Agile work for a program, which is uh, uh, several projects, all that need to collaborate together for one business deliverable, then get the, the program management book, Agile and Lean Program Management. I could go on and on. Um, I'm writing a book about geographically distributed Agile teams right now. We're hoping to have a version of that up on LeanPub next week or two, so... I think it's really about the problems that you have. I mean, I would love it if everyone went out and bought their Johanna Rothman library, but at least decide from your from your particular problems what you have and then take a look at what I have to offer. Because there's, there's books about estimation, about more, I hesitate to say, more traditional project management, but my first project management book. And then... Um, the Hiring Book and, and Manage Your Job Search. I mean, I have books about everything. Yeah. Well, not quite everything. because Well, writing.
1: Let's, well <laughs> don't, you don't want to give me that softball because I'll take that one and run. Um, so, what about uh, upcoming events? Are you, you going to be anywhere cool soon?
2: So, yeah. So, Gil, Rosa, and I are offering the Influential Agile Leader in Boston in June. And I'm so excited about this because we really help you understand your system view of your organization and why you're trying to use Agile. And then it's specifically for people who think that their transformation or their Agile approach is a little stuck. Things are not quite working the way you expected. So we're not talking just about coaching. But we will end up doing some coaching, but it's about how to see your system, how to understand points of influence, how to use influence. Um, what happens if you want to transform an entire organization? Are there, is there a step-by-step approach? And the answer is there's not a recipe, but there are principles. And so you can take the principles and then create your own uh I hate to call it a recipe, but, but, but what you need to do. So I'm very excited about the influential agile leader. We only offer it once a year and this year it's in Boston.
1: That sounds amazing. And so we, we, one of the things we love to ask all of our guests is what is some of the, the best advice you've, you've ever been given?
2: So I want to offer two pieces. Um, I learned many, many years ago. In fact, my mother used to say, um, you can't do it all. You can do one thing at a time. You can't do it all. And uh, I think that that is this business of multitasking. is just horrible, right? Uh, multitasking is the fastest way to get nothing done. So if I could tell people one thing, it would be to not multitask, to make your your to-dos or your work small enough that you can get to a done point, not have dangling thoughts in the air that that don't make sense to you when you go back to something. So figure out how to not multitask. And then the second piece of advice is you don't have to be an excellent manager. You only have to be a good manager with great intentions. And I what I find in in... Organizations trying to transform to be agile, the managers don't realize it's a cultural thing. That you gotta change the culture. And that's part of the transparency of management. So, you don't have to be perfect at being a manager. If you are trying hard and your people realize that you're trying hard and you have some transparency about it, you will probably succeed as long as you are learning how Agile can work in your organization.
1: Wow, that's great. So any final thoughts for the the uh, audience first?
2: So if I can say one more thing. I um, So I love the fact that you've named this, this radio show, the work-life balance. One of the biggest principles or values in agile is sustainable pace. And I find that if we, if we could just, just is a horrible word here, but if we could just figure out what our sustainable pace is, we can get an enormous amount of work done. So if I can leave, if I can leave you with that, how can you create sustainable pace in your work and in your life, so you can achieve your work-life balance. That would probably benefit you more than anything else.
1: I completely agree. Johanna, it has been a pleasure. We've got to have you back. Absolutely have to have you back.
2: Well, I would love that. It's been so much fun.
1: Yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely get that on the schedule. So um, next week... Uh, I will not be here. We're probably going to replay the uh, Scott Ambler show. So for those of you that missed the interview with Scott Ambler, we'll replay that show next week as I'll be returning from Costa Rica. Um, But we've got two huge shows coming up as well. March 23rd, I'm going to be interviewing Rob Tomset, who I, I credit as the person who saved my career in project management. So we'll have him on the show March 23rd. I cannot wait for that. Uh, we've got Jamie Beckler, Coach Beckler, coming back on the show on the 30th. He is phenomenal. He's an he, incredible motivational speaker. Uh, we've got uh, Michael O'Brockta, the you know the real-life Q. He's going to be back on the show. He's just released a new book. Um, we've got Inga Rock is going to be on the show. She uh, is the person that pumps everybody up for the John Maxwell team and wait till you hear her story. She's incredible, all then leading up to the 27th. Uh, when we have Maria from the Maria Christina Foundation. And again, when you hear her story on the 27th, whatever it is you feel is holding you back will will never hold you back any anymore. So uh, we've got an incredible month of shows coming up. We hope that you'll join us right here on the Work-Life Balance. If you ever miss a show, of course you can catch us on on iTunes, on any of the podcasting services. Uh, watch for the transcriptions that come out on pmthatworks.com. Uh, we transcribe all of our shows now, so that you can catch what we said, or any of the websites, that kind of thing. And as always, we're here every Friday, except next Friday is a replay. But every Friday, right here on the Voice America Business Network, we'll talk to you in two Fridays. This is Rick Morris on the Work Life Balance. We'll we'll see you soon.